Welcome back to Hot Pizza Ass. I'm your host, Aaron Darling Taralba, and today I have David Ferrier, uh, probably my favorite journalist. He is the filmmaker behind Tickled, one of the most fascinating documentaries I've seen in the past decade. He is also constantly debunking conspiracy theories and talking about them through his newsletter, webworm.co. And he is a co-host of Armchair and Dangerous, which is an offshoot of a very popular podcast you guys may have heard of called Armchair Expert with Dax and Monica. It's a great listen. Also, you got to check out his Netflix show, Dark Tourist, where he goes to weird places all over the world. This is one of my favorite episodes and favorite conversations I've ever had on a podcast. Before we get into it, I want to take a second to remind you to put me on pause. I'll wait. Go leave me a five-star review on iTunes or drop a sentence. Tell me what your favorite part of this episode was. It takes five seconds, literally, it's the easiest way to support an independent artist like me. If you would like to support in other ways, you can. If you have a business opportunity, please hit us up on socials. I'm always available at erindarling.com or darling with four H's on Instagram or follow Hot Pizza Ass at a hot pizza ass on Instagram. Additionally, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash erindarling, where you will find bonuses every single month. Sometimes that might be an extra podcast episode. Sometimes it's a photo drop. Actually, it's always a photo drop. And I have exclusive content there and a really cool community if you enjoy this. For as little as $5 a month you can support, there are other options as well. And I can't wait to see you guys on Patreon or your nice little review you leave me on iTunes because I know you will. Thank you, guys. And without further ado, let's introduce David Ferrier. David Ferrier, it is a pleasure to have you on this podcast. I've been a fan of your work for a long time, actually. Like, um, I remember the first time I saw Tickled. And that was, <laughs> I don't know if, that, if you knew, but it was like a big deal when it came out here in like my nerdy community. Um, I kept hearing about it from all my friends. And I was like, okay, I need to see this. Although that, that's that's awesome because yeah, it's funny when something it was released in a few cinemas there, but as a as a New Zealander, I didn't really get a feeling for who was watching it or whether people were watching it. So that's really nice to hear. Yes, yes. Um, and then I I first watched it and I was like, you know what? Like this is a really disturbing and fascinating story. But I rewatched it this past week and I had a completely different experience watching it now that I think a couple of years have passed since the first time I saw it. And I was shocked right. because I don't really have that experience that often when watching documentaries. But like, I think at first I was just compelled by what was going on. And when I came back to it, I was like thinking, you know, a lot has happened. Like Me Too has happened. Like I just started thinking about like the the bullying aspect of it. Like it's kind of like it reminds me of instances of revenge porn. And it to totally. And that that's exactly what David D'Amato was doing. It was revenge porn. And he got, you know, he got these videos of these like young athletic men like clothed, but tickling each other, which is an embarrassing kind of thing to be doing for particularly these men, because they were straight men who were a lot of them were athletes. And so a tickling video of them while, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. For them, it was sort of like porn, essentially. So yeah, David D'Amato would use that as revenge against them, which is exactly what it was. It was revenge porn. Yeah. Oh, it's just like, it really hurt my feelings watching it. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny what you say as well, because so much has changed. Because I feel like I was filming that in 2016 and it felt like the craziest thing I would ever encounter in my entire life. Like tickling rings all around the world and like a kingpin who's pulling the strings. But then in the five years since there's been like much there's been a lot of i don't know if you've noticed but there's been a lot of crazy stuff going on and now i just sort of think oh my goodness like i feel if i put tickled out now it would almost just sort of disappear because everyone would just be like oh no like there's much crazier stuff happening than this do you know what i mean I know exactly what you mean. It's insane how much the world has changed. It's actually on the, my list of things I want to talk to you about because I feel like, you know, conspiracy culture, which you talk a lot about, and, and I love it too. I'm obsessed with it. I love finding out why people believe certain things and what makes them tick and like, where do people like grab hold of this? And the world has changed in so many crazy ways in the past four years that we've just like seen like the fringe become mainstream. And I'm, I never thought that would happen. It shocks no. me. 
No, it, it is, and it is. It's the mainstream nature of it that is particularly odd, and I think because we're all glued to to Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and wherever you spend your time, God forbid, Facebook. It's just in your face constantly. Like we get this really unique insight into how our friends and families are running their lives that maybe we didn't get before, but it's all very, it's very in the open now what people believe. And so it, it's terrifying to see how mainstream some quite, you know, quite wacky and, and at the extreme end dangerous ideas, how common they are. Yeah, I know. And just like censorship has changed too. And and like deep platforming people. And I know that there's like a lot going on in Australia this week. And I was reading what you were writing about it. And um, to be honest, I don't completely understand it, but it kind of seems like there's something going on with, with news and misinformation now being like oh, allowed yeah, no, and I real feel, news I not feel being like, allowed. What yeah, is I feel like happening? I still don't understand it. There was a big face-off essentially between um, the major media organizations um, and the way the government um, was was helping them and Facebook and essentially, um, you know, the government, the Australian government uh, wanted Facebook to sort of be a little bit more fair, I guess, in how they distributed news and to perhaps get some payment for that. Facebook was like, no, we're just going to remove all legitimate news from Facebook. So both parties were really silly in how they went about this. Like the Australian government was a, a little bit ridiculous in what they were wanting and Facebook's reaction was really terrifying because if you were um, a Facebook user in Australia, and Australia is a big place, you know, it's much bigger than New Zealand, it sort of sits above us. And uh, if you were a Facebook user in Australia, you could not post a link to a legitimate news site. The actual news website's content was sucked out. Even And, and in the cull of news from Facebook, even you know, health information and, and health websites were removed, which in the middle of a pandemic isn't the greatest thing. So yeah, that, that was particularly terrifying. And, and just a couple of days ago, Facebook actually backed down and the news is now back on mm. Facebook in Australia, which is great. But we are, we're at a really weird intersection um, in how we consume information and what we believe is real. And it's, a, it's an information war, essentially, and it's very bizarre to be in the middle of. Yeah, I was um, thinking yesterday about the concept of truth, and I realized there's almost two completely different versions of truth. There's like like journalism truth, science truth, and then there's like this other version of of truth that's like that wants to kind of um, like circumvent everything that we knew normally as truth and debunk the truth. And people yeah, believe it, that's it, the it, truth it, now. <laughs> it gets really odd, and I think I don't want to put all the blame on a certain president, but you know, he he did champion this idea of just speaking an alternative reality until it's real and just basically talking about something enough um, as if it is real to make it real. And, you know, one of Trump's a really smart thing he did, an awful thing, but a smart thing was this term fake news. Because the thing is, before Trump, of course, there's fake news. There's There's always been fake news, but he sort of weaponized that term to the point where any legitimate uh, criticism of what he was saying, for instance, uh, at one point ignoring COVID entirely, he could just say fake news and that would sort of quieten everything down where of course the irony in the whole thing is that he was often spreading nothing but fake news. Uh, and the, there is this, you know, he, he was very good at just coming up with the reality and just sticking to it and never admitting that he was wrong because if you, if you say something's true enough these days, eventually that does become truth for a lot of people. And that's incredibly alarming because there is an objective truth. You know, there are facts. And we're living in a time now where I think people are just making up their own reality, which is where something like QAnon and that kind of conspiracy theory movement is really thriving. Because you can make up something like almost like a game with like a good versus evil giant battle that's raging, entirely fictitious. And you can make that a lot of people's um, believed reality, which is very odd and, and very terrifying where it ends up. Do you think it's a trick? Do you think QAnon is like a joke and someone at one point is going to come out and be like, oh, it was me. I just made up a bunch of shit. 
<laughs> oh, I mean that—that's exactly what it was. I mean, on the on the chans on the boards, um, you know, pre queue taking off, there were often people posting, just shit posting, like I'm an operative, um, deep within the intelligence community, or I'm close to the president that has all this intel. That was happening all the time. Like it was on the boards, there were constantly people just. And in the language of that board and the humor of that board, that was like a joke. So like you're, you're, it, it was a joke. But then someone um, obviously posting as Q, that got picked up by the mainstream and people suddenly stumbled on Chan's not understanding the humor that was employed and all the ridiculous shit posting. And a certain population of that board thought it was real and now we have we've had you know riots at the capitol so like literally started as a joke like it, it really did whether um we'll know exactly who was posting as q i think we sort of know who probably ran the account but as the identity of the person i'd love to know but i don't know if we ever will you know what's so weird is as a comedian this like kind of fucks me up because i'm like well, what is the responsibility of a joke or a joke teller right like i'm not out there Completely. making pranks like that on you know what I mean like but there are people that do that and uh I guess the assumption is that that people know it's a joke but I yeah I mean I, I ex just just yesterday and I'm still in the middle of it um my email inbox is full of really hateful messages because yesterday in New Zealand one of our main sort of conspiracy theorists kind of the Trump of New Zealand a guy called Billy TK Jr he posted um, on his Facebook wall a fake email from me that made it look like I was trying to get a whole lot of conspiracy theorists bumped off uh, YouTube, which isn't, you know, potentially is something I could do because I think you can report YouTube accounts when they're spreading dangerous misinformation. But essentially, this guy made up an email from me, had my sign off, had my email, published it, and I've spent the entirety of yesterday just getting such extreme hatred from these conspiracy theory groups because they think I've been trying to take them off YouTube. And that's this whole discussion that was just from a fake email chucked on a Facebook page that's just spread like wildfire. And now it's all come back on me. So I think a lot of the conspiracy theory bubble, it is a bubble and it's just full of information that even the very first crumb of that information is incorrect. And it just snowballs from there. And, you know, and whether that original post was a joke or someone was legitimately trying to get me a lot of hate mail, either way, like, yeah, you put something out into the universe now and thanks to the internet, it spreads pretty quickly. And I think you do have to be careful what you say and how it's read and how it's taken because things can be misinterpreted very quickly including a whole lot of ridiculous stuff on a message board that now has bred this entire movement of something like QAnon, you know, like it, it literally did start as a joke. Yeah, mind blowing. I've had that experience like in on a much smaller level, a little bit on TikTok, mm -hmm. you know, like um, on It's Conspiracy Seriously, we try to debunk stuff, but we keep it to pop culture only. And um, I mean, it's all technically pop culture, but you know, like the ones- Yeah, the more think, fun end, not the, the really ones, bleak stuff. Yeah, the ones that aren't dangerous and don't have to do with like child trafficking and, and too much like political stuff. But um, yeah, I, there was a girl that I think yesterday kind of was trying to get crazy in the comment section because a video that I did not know was going to take off, but it ended up being our most popular video. I was trying to trace the origins of the conspiracy theory that Beyonce faked her pregnancy. Um, ah. So I had to go back about a decade. That was like 2011. So I'm trying to figure out where that started and, and like who was talking about it and why, and who actually called it conspiracy. And so I had to make a short three-part video series about it and um, to like tell the whole story to give enough context. And in one of the videos, there was someone who's getting kind of uh, crazy saying that um, I shouldn't be talking about this and it's irresponsible to talk about um, someone's like pregnancy and infertility is a real thing. And I'm kind of like, well, I actually did say that. And I did say that there's no shame in surrogacy. And I and by me, like basically quoting or showing an interview that Wendy Williams did where she did some stuff on her show, you know, it's like and now you're kind of coming for me saying that I'm now propagating this. It's kind of like, it's a tricky situation. It's like, you know, all I can say is like, you know, I didn't, I didn't make this up, but to tell no, the story. It, it, 
you had to use this thing. Yeah, com- completely. It's um, and I think we're living in a time where things can get taken out of context very easily, and different things can be weaponized very easily. And it's happening on both sides. I mean, I think the left and the right is both very guilty of this. And I think we're living in a time with you know so-called cancel culture where we are sort of figuring out what the lines are and what that means. And it's very easy on both sides to get enraged about something. And it feels good to be enraged about something. You know, you see something you think is wrong and you go out there to correct it. And that can come from a good place. And I think it can come from a selfish place. And it can be a good thing and a bad thing. And I think we're in the middle. As I say, I think both sides can be really guilty of that. And I think we're figuring out what it means. I mean, what I what I always do find funny, and I'm, I'm unashamedly on, on the left, but often the people screaming about cancel culture and deplatforming the hardest are often screaming that from a platform. So, you know, they've just been booted off a network or for saying something stupid. They'll be telling and complaining about being deplatformed on a platform. They'll be on Fox or they'll be on something. <laughs> so that always amuses me with that. But it is, it's something, uh, it's a murky area that I think it'll be really interesting to reflect on this time, especially post Me Too, which was just such a worthy, I mean, thank God that happened. But like looking back on post Me Too and how we're thinking about this stuff in like a decade is going to be fascinating. Just as you say, looking back on Tickled, which was five years ago now, is kind of fascinating. It seems like much more naive times almost. Yeah, absolutely. It's so crazy. Um, and But speaking of all of this, so I was fascinated by what we were talking about with influencer culture and how damaging and crazy that can be. And I kind of want to hear your take on that and how you feel it's related to conspiracy culture. Yeah, I, I, I wrote a piece on my Webworm newsletter that had a, a provocative headline, I think, called um, Influencer Culture Should Be Burnt to the Ground. And I, I wrote that because... Uh, I just noticed a growing number of influencers, annoyingly in like the health and wellness space, which is usually a pretty mellow, well-intentioned space, uh, just starting to move into the conspiracy theory um, kind of zone. And, you know, I I particularly got annoyed because the winner of uh, The Bachelor, like the first season of The Bachelor, has become like a well-known celebrity in New Zealand. And he's a really lovely guy. He's like good looking. He's cool. He's got like a cool family now. Um, One of the few bachelor couples that probably ever stayed together. Uh, But he um, had a podcast and it's really well listened to, but he got on a guest called Pete Evans to talk about health and wellness. That's what Art assumed they'd be talking about. Next minute, Pete Evans is talking about um, his skepticism around COVID and a whole lot of kind of conspiracy-based ideas. And for me, that was just a perfect example of like, oh God, these influencers, like they've got the they've got the brand deals, they've got the money coming in, they've got the followers, but there's there's no accountability for what they're spreading. And when I looked at that particular case of this podcast, it suddenly had Pete Evans on. And he's he's a, you know, he's been He's like the extreme version of conspiracy theorist. He thinks COVID isn't real. Um, he's spreading a whole lot of really damaging theories. He's been now removed from every platform available because he's just so spreading such dangerous information. But to see him suddenly platformed on an influencer's podcast here in New Zealand, it just made me go, influencer culture, like it is the worst because we're giving these huge platforms to people, some who should have them and some who hadn't. But there's no sort of, responsibility there to what information they're delivering to an audience and this is an audience that adores them i mean i mean i've, I've got a small following you've got a following and I, I like to think that we we know that what we're saying is important and we shouldn't like it can be incredibly dangerous if we use that in the wrong way and i think increasingly watching influences and there's a lot of them go down this conspiracy theory rabbit hole uh, it's 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 really alarming. I, I mean, there's a, there's another story here, and I know this is all very New Zealand centric, but there's a much loved um, fashion brand in New Zealand called Lonely, and they're really big in the states. They've had, you know, Lena Dunham's modelled for them, the Kardashians have modelled for them, and it's like all about female empowerment and body positivity. It's a really special brand. But over lockdown in New Zealand, the two founders of Lonely went down this really intense QAnon rabbit hole to the point where they weren't providing staff with the PPE they needed during COVID. 
Um, they completely stepped away from Black Lives Matter and commenting on that because and deleting comments from their Instagram channel because they thought that was a conspiracy theory. And that was just another example of like they had huge influence, this brand, and suddenly they went and were essentially spreading a whole lot of awful stuff themselves. So influencer culture, it's 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 deeply flawed and it, and it worries me a lot. Yeah, I read your article about the lonely lingerie and it does really suck because, you know, now we are seeing more body inclusive brands in lingerie. Like we have like, you know, Rihanna's brand and stuff like that, Savage by Fenty. And we're just seeing, I think I even did a campaign with one of them, but, um, mm. but it's like, it's great that that's changing in, in like the landscape and we're seeing more of it, but it really does suck when you see one of these brands, just like, you're like, Oh, I can't support them anymore. Like, no, what's going on yeah. here? And it really, it is like unfortunate that they, they weren't taking care of their own employees during a pandemic, that was the part that really like, ooh, that hit me. Yeah, and, and it's an example of, you know, how damaging this stuff can be because there is an argument around, it's like, what's the damage? You know, let someone believe that they want to believe. If they want to believe COVID isn't real, that's on them. But, it, you know, in, in certain circumstances, it does have a trickle-down effect and if suddenly staff aren't being provided what they need to feel safe, that's a very real concern, you know, so the stuff does have real-world consequences. And I guess... You know, I don't know if you've been seeing this in America a lot, but there's just so many wellness influences sort of with followers around the 200,000 um, mark that were really just, you know, have this smoothie and, you know, maybe the supplement's going to be good that have just really gone down a, you know, suddenly sort of subtly questioning the vaccine um, sort of and over a period of months kind of going into full COVID denial and a whole lot of really alarming ideas and things like Save Our Children, which is a direct pipeline into QAnon. And it's happening a lot. And that's why influencer culture, I just think, uh, there's, uh, I think they're very susceptible to misinformation and not having the skills to see what that is and then spreading it to all their incredibly loyal audience. Yeah, I've definitely been seeing that in the health and wellness community a lot here too, because I think there are big groups of people that want to, they're very anti-medicine in general and kind of like food can heal you and positive thinking can heal you. And, and that's all fine and good just in normal times. Like that's a fine approach to life. But when it comes to a pandemic and when you can affect other people and if you not getting vaccinated can hurt your whole family and your larger community, that's when it starts to become really problematic. And I totally understand questioning everything. And, you know, I've had epidemiologists on this podcast and it's like, you know, these questions might seem silly, but they're questions people are actually asking. So I think that's fine to discuss them and it's fine to encourage people to ask everything they want to ask but I just think that some people are just asking things not without like without that open mind whole like attitude that maybe we should have if we're asking the questions like be open to the totally. answers then too <laughs> yeah 100 percent. and I think the the other thing that's really um you know it's sad in the situation is a lot of the people that get drawn to conspiracy theories and you know don't trust what the government's telling them they have a legitimate reason probably not to trust the government because historically the government has screwed them over. You know, I mean, certainly over here in New Zealand, if you look at um, some of the population over here that particularly got dragged into different conspiracy theory beliefs and really hated the government making us lock down to keep COVID out, they have legitimate reasons to not trust the government because they've been screwed by the government. So they're generally people in life who have had an incredibly rough time and the system hasn't worked for them. So suddenly the system's telling them, there's a pandemic, you must do this. The, you know, the state's forcing things on you. They're sort of the people that are going to react um, in an adverse way to that, which is ironic because they're also the most vulnerable to a lot of these health concerns as well. So it's a horrible sort of feedback loop. And I think the last thing you can do is, and I'm certainly guilty of it at times, is sort of this sort of almost talking down to conspiracy theorists and sort of getting stuck into them because it can be really easy to do. But a lot of them are vulnerable people who are um, have reason to, I suppose, to mistrust certain things and to mistrust science. And maybe medicine hasn't helped them in the past in the way that they hoped it would. And I just, it, it's it's much better, I think, to react with kindness and to try and have a discussion with, with people 
that fall down the rabbit hole than to get angry at them because that will just embed them more in that space. Although it's very tempting to get stuck in because some of it's just so ridiculous. I know. I always want to respond to some of my comments kind of angrily, but then I try to realize uh, this isn't really helping. Um, but I always want to be like, wait, what? What you? The worst people I write th- that I think right now are not even the wellness influencers. They are the uh, I work in healthcare people. I work in healthcare, oh and uh, and I and I'm like, what does that even mean? Like you work like where and what part of healthcare? So what you want to debunk the advice coming from an epidemiologist on the front lines in LA County working here, like in vaccine development, like trying to like actually figure out what's going on, studying the patterns, charting the trends. And you, I work in healthcare. You have an opinion that's going to debunk all of that work. Like what? I know, and it's it's frustrating, <laughs> and it's it's so. I mean, I don't have an answer to this, but it's so surprising to see how uh, people today, I guess, uh, online aren't worried about sources and where stuffs come from, and the and and even to the point where you see some of the supposed news websites that are shared around, and you just look at the 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 website address, and it's something completely fucking insane like it's like it's like you know fake news science now.com <laughs> or something and just people aren't clocking things that simple and people don't realize there's a difference between a site like that and something like the bbc um or, or the guardian or the times and all those publications they have their issues and their biases and i have issues with certain aspects of the times but people don't understand like the really and and where news comes from and looking at the source of things and that a Facebook post isn't necessarily always going to be legitimate. And I wish we'd, if people just knew a little bit about sourcing and where things came from. But again, that that's this idea that's been seeded by Trump and his legacy that, you know, the mainstream media are all shills and you can't trust them. So it's such a damaging and frustrating idea because sure, there are problems in journalism, but also, like, there are a lot of journalists doing incredibly good work, and I would I would go to a journalist in an outlet like that in an instant, as opposed to trusting like my crazy uncle on Facebook. That's so true. And you know what else I love from reading all of your articles? By the way, everyone should subscribe mm. and check out webworm.co. But I was reading, I think I was reading the the lonely article, and um, I got this fun term that I'd never heard before uh, from a screen grab, I think of Facebook comments of <laughs> lamestream media. Oh, I never heard God. of lamestream. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I, there are a lot of, um, yeah, I think those um, in the conspiracy kind of area, they love coming out with like, sort of like slight plays on common terms and yeah lamestream media i hear that all the time and it's just so it's so frustrating and a big criticism i get is that i'm being either paid by jacinda the prime minister um or that i am somehow working for some giant media organization or something and i'm just like it's literally just me and my it's just me writing things and it's me and my friends making documentaries you know tickled was me and you know about five of my friends that made that thing so it's just the perception of journalism and and sourcing is just it's deep we're in a deeply bad place right now and i don't quite know how we extract ourselves from that uh and i'm sure it can get worse but but we're sort of in the uh, one of the worst positions i've ever seen so you are actually a conspiracy theory yeah, I'm a conspiracy theory. You are. Yeah, I oh, know yeah. there are a lot of conspiracy theories about me because, <laughs> you know, look, because this is New Zealand, like I know Jacinda, like I know our prime minister from before she was prime minister. And mm-hmm. so there's photos of us together because we're friends. So, of course, that is a conspiracy theory because I'm, I am now one with the government and a government that has made us like close our borders and make them much tighter to keep COVID out. So, oh, there's a, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about me. Uh, but that's what people do, and that's what the internet gives people. I mean, every project I do, whether it's Tickled or Dark Tourists, there are people that come up with certain conspiracy theories around those shows and certain elements. And people love to talk and to spread a whole lot of bullshit. So it's uh, it's what the internet's really good for. Like-minded people can meet, and if it's a bad idea, that bad idea is going to like snowball and get bigger and bigger. Yeah, and it's weird to because- the point where yeah, I'm being paid a million dollars a year, I think, by Jacinda to talk about left wing issues and to rubbish conspiracy theories. So that's the latest <laughs> thing I heard. I wish I was being paid a million dollars. If Jacinda wanted to pay me a million dollars a year, I'd probably consider taking it. It's a lot of money. <laughs> like uh, Britney Spears, when people thought Britney Spears was a George Bush operative. 
Oh, I know. It's wild. And yeah. I mean, I think that, that brings up a good point. I think your podcast speaks really highly to that because conspiracy theories are entertaining. Like mm-hmm. they are exciting and it's fun to learn about them. It's fun to talk about them. And I think that gives them a lot of their power because, you know, you get something awful like QAnon, which is literally telling a story about this good versus evil battle being waged in the spiritual plane, but on earth. That's what it comes down to. Like it is that sort of epic or whether it's, you know, a story about Beyonce, like it's entertaining and it's crazy. And I think that's why people love talking about it and how these ideas spread. Yeah. And also some of them are just so big that you really cannot debunk them. It's like, so you're like, well, not unless I know these people personally and I like have like access to medical records. Like I don't really know how to debunk some of these, but some of them, like you do a great job on Armchair and Dangerous of really debunking some of the ones that I would be very intimidated to tackle. You know, how long does it take you to research one of those episodes and put that together? Oh, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I probably didn't know what I was getting myself into with that podcast because I thought it would be like a fun (laughs) chat once a month about conspiracy theories, but I'm realizing I do have to go pretty deep, but I mean, I have an interest in this stuff anyway, so I'm often trying to trying to keep up with various conspiracy theories as they happen just in my general reading so it's not like I suddenly have to read a whole lot of books about it but you know something we we did a 9-11 episode um, looking at the main conspiracy theories around 9-11 in the last episode and yeah I did have to refresh my mind on that and you know it's something like 9-11 I think is a really good example of something that's incredibly difficult to debunk because there are just so many theories around why that was a massive setup and you know, the theories from that range from the sort of the light end, which is, you know, it was used as an excuse to to invade another country right through to there were no planes and it was all planned explosives and they were all planted in their pre-planes, whether those planes were real or holograms. So I guess my point is it takes me a long time to research in that if it's a th- if it's a complicated thing, I want to get it right. And so it just means a lot of rereading, a lot of really crazy websites just to get my head around what the arguments are and then going from there. Did you, when you were researching that episode in particular, because I really liked that one a lot, um, did you find, was it interesting to see how the, how the media has changed or even the fringe media has changed in the last, I guess it's 20 years now, right? Yeah, it's been a long time since then. And yeah, there's there's so much difference in how things are, are, are propagated. I mean, I, you know, I talk with Dylan Reeve a lot about this, who I may tickled with because he loves this mm-hmm. stuff as well. And, and yeah. he, I'll often research with him because he's just so across all this stuff as well. And what was interesting about 9-11 is that, you know, the conspiracy theories from 9-11 started mainly because of a film called Loose Change, which was a, you know, a guy called Dylan Avery made that in his bedroom. It cost him about $2,000 for the equipment. And that, you know, there was no YouTube then. So he released that documentary about YouTube um, on about, sorry, about 9-11 conspiracy theories. Um, so I've completely lost my train of thought. So D- Dylan Avery, edit this bit out. So, you know, Loose Change was created before YouTube he just made it in his bedroom. He put it on Google video. YouTube wasn't there. Um, and it got, you know, 10 million views really quickly. And that's how conspiracy theory started around 9-11 and got mainstreamed was because of this one film. Whereas now that happens on a million different websites and on these social media networks that are, that are built to spread misinformation so, so quickly. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the way misinformation and disinformation is is propagated is, yeah, it's hugely different to how it was 20 years ago. Yeah, I remember watching Loose Change and just being like, whoa, I don't... <laughs> I think loose change for me was the very beginning of kind of like understanding and also not understanding like how are people finding like this comforting? How do people find comfort in conspiracy theories? Like, oh, of course, like there's all this misinformation in the world. All these things don't make sense. So now I have something to latch on to, which is this crazy conspiracy theory. When I watched it, it made me depressed. It made me feel worse. Like, whoa, our government would do that? Like, what? You know, like it just makes me feel shittier. (laughs) Yeah, that is this really catch twenty two thing with with um, stuff around nine eleven because yeah, I, I think it it seems to me like a lot of conspiracy theories do give you comfort because it gives you an explanation. But with nine eleven, that the explanation of your own government turning against you to me is much more terrifying than a, a foreign invader. Um, 
you know, flying some planes into the Twin Towers. Like, I don't know why that provides comfort for certain people, and I don't know if it does, but I remember watching Loose Change as well and thinking, you know, because Loose Change is, is really, it's it's amazing propaganda because it does link together unrelated things really clearly, and it's really convincing. And I came away from that thinking, oh, man, there's something going on here. Like, it sounds like this really was some sort of, plan from the American government um, to, to carry out this attack. Uh, it's only when you sort of pull apart filmmaking and the evidence down deep that you realize that it's utter bollocks, essentially. But man, it was convincing. And that was a that was a masterfully made documentary, although documentary is probably a pretty loose term for something because it's it's pretty it's pretty biased. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's biased. actually that's something that when I rewatched Tickled, actually, that at the very end, I was like, oh, they do, you do this amazing thing where you give him a chance, uh, David D'Amato, to be a human, you know, yep. by talking to the family member that's like telling the story. And like, you know, this is a really bad, like a messed up person that did a lot of awful things to a lot of people. And it's just mm. like and wasn't held accountable. Yeah, no, totally. And yeah. we needed that last phone call because, yeah, as I say, the whole film is certainly about a bad person sort of doing bad things. But then having some insight at the end from a family member that could talk to you about, you know, a sort of a, a staunchly homophobic father and, and the way someone was raised and it, it explained why he behaved in the way he did. And I don't think we would have had an ending without that side to things. Uh, and yeah, I, certainly every documentary has a perspective and a bias and tickles no different, but yeah, I'm really proud of that ending and that insight that we got. And that was unexpected. We were just, we were doing the stakeout for our big bad, you know, to come out and to sort of follow him. And we were just bored. I mean, we'd ordered pizza, we'd, it was snowing, we couldn't really do anything. We we're all stuck in a car. It was smelly. And we just sort of thought, oh, look, let's just call. We've got this like relative of this guy. She's probably not going to pick up, but let's just call in case she says something. And she just opened up. And that that's what you hear in the closing moments of Tickled is just that conversation. Like it's there's not much editing in there. It's just her free-flowing thoughts. I loved how genuine she was. Her first reaction was just like, oh, no, like not again. And she just like, what you know, like what you said is yeah. is true. Like she really did just kind of open up and was willing to talk about uh, a situation in a person that seems like no one else was willing to give like an honest insight about because of the fear of retaliation. And after I saw that and I experienced that moment, the documentary ended, I went to bed. I was thinking in my mind like, man, how sad that this person who also, you know, he worked a job and in outside of this job, he spent his time making like a bunch of fetish videos and then blackmailing people and the amount of like an, an excessive blackmail. So yeah. the time that went into all of that, like this man spent his life in front of a screen, you know, just yeah, like, completely. I mean, I, you know, after the film sad. came out, I, I met a couple of his former students because you're sort of a guidance counselor um, at a school in New York. And I met one of his students who, um, David D'Amato was helping at school get through some hard times and you know that was his job and he was he could do that but the student realized after watching Tickled he had also been getting written letters from Jane who was David D'Amato's alter ego at the same time oh so at God. school he was seeing this guidance counselor who was kind of helping him and at the same time David D'Amato's alter ego was writing him letters being like hey like to tickle so it's like and he still kept these letters and it's written in that cursive sort of this he sort of writes to maybe look like it might be like a, a female writing because they're more likely to write in sort of cursive writing um and signed off as terry and he had these two lives and it's it's so unfortunate because you know i think david damato could have lived a life where he was open about his you know, there's nothing wrong with being into tickling and to liking watch people tickle. He could just do that. He could tell people what he wants. And the joy of living in the world we live in today is you can sort of find anyone for anything. And if you're open about it and you both know what something is being used for, go for it. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I think he just had this situation where he had such a, 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 a tricky upbringing coming to terms with himself because of the the sort of the, his family's beliefs about him and about how someone should live their life. He obviously just internalized a lot of that. 
and that led to him you know being an incredibly sort of damaging force for for decades really um so i don't know what's the lesson in tickled if you've got children let them be themselves be supportive <laughs> don't be an asshole and uh your kids are probably going to have a much better life and not keep this cycle going on and on and on right Without money, he could have just hired like a really hot male dom oh, to totally. tickle him every night for like five totally. hours after work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a shit ton of people on Craigslist that would be champing at the bit to do that. You know, right? if only he just being honest about it. Like, it's frustrating, you know, and he lived online. He should have known this stuff. But yeah, I think the thing for David D'Amato is that a lot of it was, a lot of the fun for him was the torment. It was getting that material and also harassing people. And that for him, I think, was sort of part and parcel of the whole thing yeah. but thanks for watching it it's so it's so surreal it's like weird still to think that that was out in theaters and i i heard some people watched it and thought the whole thing was a, a mockumentary really <laughs> yeah totally yeah they thought it was like i was an actor and the whole thing was made up i feel uh, like you so would that be was... a really good actor though <laughs> <laughs> well here's the thing it was all fake tickled was fake it was all me It'd be the best mockumentary of all time. Like I was so on, I've been on board for years with that one. Yeah, yeah. but that's the thing. Like real life is always going to be stranger than anything you could write. So, you know, it's, um, and it's funny. I, you know, years later, I think last year or maybe the year before Riverdale had a, um, had a tickling storyline. And I, um, one of the writers followed me on, on Instagram and I messaged them being like, is this like a nod to tickled? And they're like, yeah, like the writer's room was into Tickled, and so that's why this really fucked up Tickling storyline that seemed really, like, removed from the rest of the show was in there because they all, like, Tickled. So that's, like, that's the coolest thing probably that's happened um, out yeah. of Tickled so far. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, and also yeah, I it's feel kind like, of wild. You know, it's like I love, you know, speaking of fetishes, I also love your work that you did where you're kind of, like, calling out these weird trends that emerge online that encourage people to... Mm basically make their own fetish content, um, which is alarming when you don't know you're doing it and when they're kids. Yeah, there's. Um, I kind of stumbled on that side of YouTube a little while ago where, yeah, there were these accounts kind of putting out challenges to kids, like the Lego challenge, like, I want to. I want to see you like crushing Lego pieces on your feet. And you know when you step, stick on a, step on a Lego piece, it's really sore. So these kids are like, yeah, like I'll make these videos, not realizing that they're making these like challenge videos for, you know, a 45-year-old man. So it's, yeah, I sort of found the side to YouTube that was deeply disturbing. We had a bunch of kids wanting to get engagement on their channels and wanting to um, create content that people were requesting. And, you know, a lot of innocent requests like, oh, can you make this video crushing this thing with your feet? which to a kid just seems like, ah, it's a funny thing to do. Like, what a wacky thing to do. You watch all these videos comp together in playlists that people have made, and it's clearly um, fetish material for adults featuring underage children. And it's one of the ultimate problems on YouTube, I think, is it's full of kids. They are contactable, and they are making content for uh, for, for reasons they don't understand. And so... God, I just think, I, I think parents do just need to keep an eye on their kids. Goes without saying whether they're on, I mean, they're probably all on TikTok now as opposed to YouTube. But like there are a lot of mostly men out there preying on children on these real, in the open, like completely in the open. And when you look at a video on its own, you see a video of like a, a kid crushing some Lego pieces in his foot. You're like, ah, it's just a bit weird. But when you realize why that stuff's being made, it's like, oh, like some kid, yeah, ah, just awful, awful stuff. Yeah, but your work led to some of that, some YouTube accounts being kicked off, right? Yeah, a bunch of them got deleted, which was great, and they were removed, and it's a small drop in the ocean, but I, I like to think that even if people read about that particular story, they could maybe just sort of think a little bit about how people behave online, because I think there's still a lot of parents and people that don't quite understand how in the open a lot of this awful stuff is and so i like to think that maybe educated at least a, a few people about that yes it worries me a lot on tiktok because the more time that i spend there you know making my own content or watching you know people mm. i see a lot of really young people 
doing challenges or dances that kind of it worries me because I'm like, man, this is who's watching this? Like, I just it's so yeah. easy to sexualize, especially young girls. I'm like, and I really worry about that. I'm like, thank God that I did not have TikTok, you know, when I was 13, because I would probably just like want to do it too. It's a trend. It's popular. Like dancing in front of a camera doesn't seem like I did dancing, but not like yeah. that, you know, not on a way where I was posting it where anyone could see it. And it just, I think you're right, like the accessibility and just like the the trendy nature of it just seems so innocuous. But really, when you look at the content or you don't know who's behind that screen, it can end no, up being and it's, not. It's a, it's, it's a bit like what we were talking about earlier as well as the mm-hmm. context of a thing. You can say a thing or do a thing and it may be fine in one setting, but then when you realize that it's being viewed in another way, it takes on an entirely new perspective. And I think, you know, TikTok seems so disposable because you make a video, you throw it out into the world, it might do well, it might not. But that stuff's sitting there forever. And if that ends up, you know, it can be used in a multitude of different ways. And I think uh, people forget that because, you know, if you're if you're innocent and you're having a lovely life, you don't think about the awful people out there that are going to use this content for in a very different way. And it's, uh, I don't know what we do about that exactly. Um, it's, it's, We've sort of gone far too far and being too open with things already, but I, I like to think we can maybe pull back at, at sharing a little bit at some point because I think we I, share a little bit too widely. I I kind of agree with you. Why do you think that? Um, I think that you know it, it's funny when 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 people are are worried about privacy and corporations looking on in on them and surveillance and that kind of thing, and then we've never been more open to sharing these really intimate moments online because that's what you know that's what these platforms have i don't want to sound too preachy but that's what these platforms thrive on is like giving us likes and so we you get this feeling if you experience any kind of event or you do anything put it online because you'll get some likes for it and that's just really changed the way that we think about our own privacy and i think 20 years ago would be pretty horrified. I'd be horrified at what I put online sometimes. Like, why am I actually sharing this part of my life with a whole lot of strangers? Like, I just took this photo in my home. Like, this is my private space. Why am I happy to share this with people that could potentially be anyone with any kind of, you know, you, you don't know what their headspace is, but you're inviting them suddenly into your home. And I think that's what social media has done so well is it somehow kind of tricked us into giving them content for free because we think it's good for us when really it's just a, a, a huge violation of our privacy and the way I think we value ourselves and what we do. Yes, that's amazing. It's a really concise way of, of looking at it and putting it into terms because like you're you're relatively private like with your personal stuff. Like do you, where do you draw the line? Absolutely. And how do you know like... How do you? How yeah, do you I mean, I always just yourself? think. I mean, I always sort of do this thing where when I post anything, I think, would I be happy for this to be? And this shows how old I am and old fashioned I am. I think, would I be happy for this to be a full page on the front of the paper, with a headline that I didn't write? You know, so how could this look if it was taken in a different context? And I think you just have to think like that all the time, and just be. Th- there's something to be said for not oversharing, and I think that's why I think certain musicians and artists I admire are kind of I, I think it's what someone like Lord again a New Zealand reference but why why she was so smart early on is there wasn't even an image of who Lord was early on it was like an illustration of her and you know it wasn't about her and there's a certain thing to not sharing too much and keeping some mystique and some privacy and I think we've just sort of forgotten that like we're kind of like if we show the world everything about us it'll somehow make our lives better and will make us more popular. And I think that's just a really sort of a ridiculous way to look at things that I hope we can kind of find a healthy medium. Because at the same time, it's it's really fucking awesome that kids are dancing and doing these awesome dance moves on TikTok. And they're much more skilled than I feel like all of my friends were when we were that age. And that's amazing, like celebrate it. But I think there's also that balance of, again oversharing some things and not quite understanding how they can be used out of context and in different ways and i just hope people start thinking about that a little bit more in the same way that i hope people think about sources of their news a little bit more i just i wish people would just think things through 10 percent more than what they are currently 
Yeah. And I actually think that is one of the benefits of how crazy things have become is like, I think people look a little bit deeper and we're learning more about things like sources. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually think I've seen people become more critical because now there's just so much crazy stuff happening. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think the capital riots and in, in as far as the conspiracy world went, were a bit of a tipping point for some people. And I think some people objectively just saw that and went, Oh God, like I think this conspiracy stuff can go a bit far. So yeah, it may reach that point of such extreme things going on that, that it is a bit of a wake up call for everyone. Um, but you know, people are slow on this. I feel like there was that documentary on Netflix that a lot of people got really excited about called the social dilemma, which was a really, it was a really powerful way of like showing what the issues are with Facebook and Twitter and social media and what it does to our, the dopamine in our brains. But it was nothing new. Like this has been, we've known this for a very long time. And so I was sort of surprised at how shocked people were by that film because, this has been a thing for a long time and it's not like it's this big reveal. So I think it does take a long time and a lot of context and thinking for people to actually come around. Um, just like, you know, they say that when people stumble into conspiracy theory belief, it's an average of like two years for you to come out of it, of, 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 of doubt being seeded. You're not suddenly going to wake up and get out of QAnon. It's about two years for the seeds of doubt to go in there, for you to sort of think through things, for you to get enough dissonance in your own mind to sort of step away from that belief system. So it's not slow, this stuff. Like, it all it all takes time. Which, again, is why you shouldn't get angry at a conspiracy theorist, because you're getting angry and, like, shoving facts down their throat. They're never going to snap out of it. You've just got to gently present them and ask them questions about this alternative way of viewing things. And eventually they might slowly realize it for themselves but it's it's years the stuff takes to get out of sounds like a cult yeah, super culty and you're you're surrounded by followers it gives you a view of the world that makes you think that you've got access to the truth that makes you feel special and unique um you've got this unique uh version of reality that no one else has it makes you feel enlightened and so yeah, it's it's very it's very culty. Um, any sort of extreme belief can be, I think, whether it's Scientology or QAnon. It's all um, it all falls it has some very similar patterns. You know what's so sad about that? Oh, I'm getting teary eyed. We mm. all do have our own unique version of reality. So if these yeah. people really just like you know, we all experience the world differently, just by virtue of who we are, where we came from, like the belief systems that raised us. And I just wish that people could see that within themselves instead of relying on a bigger organization or something that explains things for you. Like we all have the cult of each other, you know, individually <laughs> to believe in and no one wants to believe in themselves. <laughs> no, no, we, we really do. And I think you, um, no, you raise a, a really good point. Um, we, and, and I think it's important to understand our own belief system and to be prepared as well to step back from ourselves and look at how we're looking at things and why we're doing something and why we're arguing a certain point of view. Cause at the end of the day, like that's the thing we all think we're right. And someone that's barking out dangerous conspiracy theories. Sure. Some of them are grifters in there and they're just doing it to sort of like make a profit and to get patreon supporters but a lot of them just think they have a version of the truth and they want to share it with you it's like an evangelical christian they're shoving the bible down your throat not because they're trying to be annoying but because they're literally trying to save you from an eternity in hell and get you to heaven like there's goodness behind it and it's the same thing with the conspiracy theorists screaming at you about screaming at you about like kids locked in underground tunnels and adrenochrome and the deep state they're trying to like help you. They're trying to show you the light. So if you kind of realize that everyone, including me, ranting on to you right now, is trying to speak their own truth. That's what everyone's trying to do. We just kind of, we need to sort of remember though that we're all guilty of it to some extent. And just hopefully that informs the way we communicate with like the opposite side. And even the reason, you know, the way I'm saying the opposite side, that says a lot because we it does feel like this battle we've made. And God, if we could sort of find a middle ground to communicate and not see it as a battle, we, we might be in a better place. That would be great for uh, climate change, you know, like, you know, the things that really oh. do affect everyone, like finding that middle, hey, we're all going to die because of this. So like, why don't we all just like 
figure it out together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be so good. Um, and I great. wish we yeah. could do that with climate change. But we're also, we're very, you know, we're very small minded. We live day to day. And I think part of the reason climate change is so hard to wrap our heads around is this thought that ultimately it's not going to kill us in our lifetime. And we might, I'm, I'm sure people with kids might might think differently, but we don't really think beyond ourselves. And the same way with conspiracy theories, like we're so stuck in our own day to day existence, the bigger picture is so hard to see. And that's why we get like stuck in these weird little hovels that we're all stuck in. Yeah, right. Ugh, crazy. Uh, but before before I let you go, um, mm, I, mm, mm. I want to ask you about your insane asylum trip. So you spent the oh, last right, night yeah. in, a, in the most haunted <laughs> yeah, place Yeah, I did. I was out. Yeah, it's New Zealand's most haunted location. Um, it's called King Seat. Um, it was shut down a couple of decades ago, but it was it's in the middle of nowhere. It was where we sent people with um, mental health issues to get treated. And, you know, they were not treated in a, in a good way. I mean, since that place is shut down, um, so much has come out about it, about um, the various awful therapies they'd put people through. Um, but it's, it's closed down now, but you go in there, it's people live there now in, in, in the old um, quarters for patients and for the nurses and the doctors. It's a, on huge grounds. Um, you know, they've been shooting, Netflix has been shooting, um, I think, Cowboy Bebop out there. Like a lot of like big productions that come in will use King Seat as like a set piece. Um that's a rumor. I hope I'm not getting anyone in trouble by saying that. But they have. Th there's always film production shooting out there. Um, but I went out there last night because I was meeting someone um, who is. I'm, I'm working. He's talent in a documentary I'm making, which I hopefully will be able to tell you about at some point. But he took me on a tour, and um, I went in. They've got the old morgue, which is now they've, they've still got the table there, and they've got like the old fridge that they used to put bodies in because a lot of people died at this place because it was so. You know, it was where New Zealand sent its mentally ill and a lot of them didn't fare well there. And it's got a pretty heavy, it's got a pretty heavy vibe on the place. Um, I talked to some staff there who there's certain rooms they won't go into. Like there's one room no one will go into because it's just too much bad stuff happens there. And I, I'm a skeptic. I, I tend not to believe in sort of anything supernatural really. But after spending a night there, um, I get it. Like it's got some bad mojo. Um, out there and it was a, a pretty surreal night <laughs> wow did you go into the room where they told you not to go um no I didn't that's the thing I didn't go in like the rest of it was so you know we're talking about like corridors that have like bird skeletons because birds have gone in there and gotten trapped and like fall into the ground and like there's wallpaper peeling off like it feels like you're walking through Silent Hill if you've played that video game or seen the movie it's like it's just a really deeply uncertain place and it feels wrong and i guess knowing the context of what people were put through there um and and how patients were treated you just feel that weight on the place really like it's just it's just it's it's full on i haven't i haven't been to a place like that before yeah absolutely i and you don't believe in any of that weird energy no, well, I guess maybe I do now. Maybe I do. I mean, maybe this is my start down the descent into um, conspiracy theories and believing in all sorts of uh, unhinged things. Because no, there was a certain there was a certain darkness out there for sure. Um, but it's our, our ghosts yeah. If anyone, <laughs> no, then no, no, not quite. No, but I just I always get worried that like once you sort of start to accept one non science related thing, you're eventually going to end up thinking that like child um sex traffickers rule the world you know so i always worry about slipping into those beliefs <laughs> nice uh, but yeah this this was a this yeah it's a it's a crazy place and being in an old morgue um where it's still got the table where you'd put the body on and still got like the freezer and stuff there and broken windows and it's a certain atmosphere that's for sure so yeah i was there till the early hours of this morning which is why i apologize if i've been a little bit um, I've been rambly today because my brain, I think I left it at the asylum. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all, actually. This has been so wonderful. And I'm so glad that we were able to connect and do this. <laughs> no, thank, and thanks for the work you do. I mean, I think the more, more people speaking about sort of conspiracy theories and sort of pulling them apart and examining them, I think, you know, if it, even if it wakes a couple of people up um, and makes them rethink things, I think that's good because I think the more we live in a reality where we're not accepting reality. 
I think that's really terrifying. And we've got a lot of real problems to solve, like climate change um, and like, um, you know, a million movements, whether it's Me Too or Black Lives Matter. Like, There's real things we need to sort out. Instead of arguing about whether the world is being run by a bunch of like Satanist pedophiles, you know, so like, I'm really keen to stick with reality because I think we need to because humanity's in a really we're in a real bad spot. And I think we've got to work as hard as we can to get out of that. That's a really, really good point. Thank you so much. You guys, please subscribe to his a newsletter webworm.co watch Dr. Oh, thank you. Dark Tourist check him out on Armchair uh and Dangerous is what's called right Love it Yeah yeah All Armchair and things. Dangerous it's once a month we might do it more but um yeah me and Dex and Monica it's been a lot of fun like it's fun talking to those guys about conspiracy theories because uh we've all got different takes on it and it's it's really fun to unpack it with them Awesome thank you so much for joining us is David Ferrier not your new favorite person? I mean, he has the coolest job and I love his takes on everything. Uh, there was a lot of points of agreement there. Uh, if you guys want to check out more of his work, you should check out the links in the show notes. I've got everything there where you can check out his newsletter, the stuff that he writes, and also, of course, check out his filmmaking endeavors and his TV show on Netflix. Please support the podcast, leave me five stars, give me a review with your favorite part of this episode, and head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash Aaron Darling. I have some really cool announcements coming soon, and I can't wait. Also, our shirts are back in stock, so go to the 86ers or go to our Instagram where you can order a new Hot Pizza Ass shirt because we got them in stock in black. Thanks for helping us sell out. I'm Aaron Darling Taralva. We'll see you next time. <laughs>